on Pop Fiction Women, we explore what it means to be a complicated woman. Tired of endless variations of leading men next to one-dimensional archetypes of women, or strong female leads written by men that were essentially guys in women's bodies. We started this show to highlight the many female characters in entertainment worth exploring, as well as the women who dreamt them up. And now we're adding those creators to our conversations, discussing their process and passion in bringing these women to life. Welcome to Complicated Conversations. On these episodes, there's no spoilers. So come on, it's starting. On today's episode of Complicated Conversations, we are joined by Emily Henry. Emily is the number one New York Times bestselling author of People We Meet on Vacation, Beach Read, as well as several young adult novels. Her books have been featured in BuzzFeed, Oprah Magazine, Entertainment Weekly, The New York Times, The Skim, Shondaland, and more. Her new novel, Book Lovers, is out now, and we can't stop talking about it. Welcome to Pop Fiction Women, Emily. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yay. So tell us a little bit about Book Lovers. Yeah. Book Lovers is the story of Nora Stevens, who is a kind of cutthroat, ambitious literary agent in New York City. And she has like her life pretty much together. But no matter how hard she tries to date men, she is very compatible with. They keep breaking up with her for women who are her polar opposite. Like, you know, the small town sweethearts who like don't wear a lick of makeup and, you know, love Mm -hmm. baking and whatnot. So... (laughs) That keeps happening over and over again to like a ridiculous extent. And Nora's younger sister, Libby, has this theory that Nora needs to go have her own transformational small town love story like her ex-boyfriends keep having. So Libby convinces Nora to go to this small town near Asheville, North Carolina for a month for a sister's trip, but also to complete this kind of small town romance bucket list. And while she's there, she keeps running into her nemesis from back in the city, Charlie Lastra, who is a, a editor who is very much like Nora, but they butt heads and they just don't get along well. And he's just this little piece of New York that's like a thorn in her side as she's trying to kind of like let loose and have this different experience. And yeah, I mean, you said my favorite word when it comes to love stories, nemesis, <laughs> nemesis. Yes. Yeah, because yeah, I wouldn't quite say that they're like truly enemies like they're you know they're like they're colleagues and they're professionals but like you know underneath the polite exterior there is dislike (laughs) right and they have and being agent and editor there's transactional nature to them but underneath that there's a lot going on we're gonna get to that (laughs) yay so but first i want to talk about nora so i completely related to her uh her pelotoning running controlling compartmentalizing overly ambitious list making self You wrote on Insta that this book is an ode to all the women wearing heels at their treadmill desks and barking orders into their phones while angrily eating giant takeout (laughs) salads. And I was like, busted. Um, Yeah, I have a camera in your house, just so you know. (laughs) Seriously. But you also said it's about a woman really just trying to do her job and how the world reacts to that. So as you said, Laura is a literary agent. Her nickname is The Shark. I am a lawyer. Nicknamed the assassin. Wow. I know. But of course, Nora is so much more, and I hope, as am I, than she appears on the surface. She's a devoted sister, a fierce advocate for her clients, and a sentimental daughter, you know, who lost her mother at a young age. So we'd love to hear more about your development of Nora and any challenges you face when writing her. 
Yeah. Nora is the starting point for this book. And usually that's not the case for me. But for Nora, I knew I wanted to write this book because I kept watching Hallmark Christmas movies, which I love and I'm not denigrating here. (laughs) But, you know, you see enough of them and you're like, okay, this is kind of the formula. This big city person needs to go to a small town to find out what the true meaning of Christmas and life and love is. But I was really fascinated because in a lot of those, the main character who gets sent to some small town in America has like a significant other back in the city whose job it is to like call them throughout the movie. So you can kind of see their unfulfilling city life (laughs) for a second and you can see, you know, what he's leaving behind and what he needs to let go of and whatever. And so this woman is often, she really is often like power walking um, in the streets (laughs) or she's like getting a facial or like... Um, it's or, true. Like, yeah, it's like there's yeah. all this like little shorthand where you're like, this she's is got, a bad She's having woman. a manicure, but also yeah. has her Bluetooth and screaming something. Exactly. Yes. You're like, she's hardworking and she takes care of her cuticles. This is a bad woman. <laughs> um, and I, you know, I love those movies, but, and I am not a proponent of taking one person's story and saying like, oh, this is like saying this is the right way to be. And, you know, it's like an indictment on other stories. I don't like to do that. But when you see enough of them that are following the same format, you're like, okay, what are we saying about (laughs) businesswomen who love the city? And so I wanted to take that character and not just see, like, what would her happy ending be, but also specifically I wanted to be like, why is she this way? And, you know, like, why is she so invested in her boyfriend, like, completing his job and getting back to the city? What is the mental block there that is keeping her from understanding why he can't just, with the snap of his fingers, fire everyone he was sent to fire or whatever? It's like she takes her job so seriously and she sees the world in some ways in black and white. And and I wanted to investigate what would make a character like that because we don't usually see that. You know, we see Miranda Priestly getting off the elevator and throwing all of her stuff at her like trembling assistant. But why? Why is she like that? Why is she cutthroat at work? Why is she scary? Like what made her glamorous and subdued and all those things? So that was like how I started with Nora. And it was amazing how just asking that question helped me dig in so deep to her right away. Like I was like, okay, you don't just take your job that seriously if you don't have kind of some scarcity mentality and some fear of running out of resources And, you know, needing the stability of a job. Like, that's why people are like that. They're not just (laughs) a-holes. I don't know what the swearing policy is. Oh, you can swear. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. So I just wanted to ask those questions and to give sort of a justification for why that character would exist. Because we're clearly fascinated by her if she keeps popping up all over the place. But she's always the side character or the villain. So I just yes. you know, wanted to give her her space. Yes. Yeah. So that is the big difference for me with your book is that you seem to be really approaching it with curiosity and interest instead of like, because the trope, when you boil it down, is essentially saying it's wrong to be right. this way. And at the end, you won't be this right. way anymore. Yes. That's not life. That's not no. how it works. And if you aren't, because I, I feel like I am Nora after her small town yeah. transformation, <laughs> yeah. but I'm still that person. And I just have addressed some of the underlying stuff that makes me not quite right. the same way. But I, I still embrace who I am and appreciate that. So I, I'm not, I never thought that was like, I need to be the opposite, right? The, yeah. Because that's who the guys fall for. Yeah. And I think, you know, I don't know. It's just so weird 
there's all this sort of Victorian holdover about femininity where it's like, I get so embarrassed when I go to my friends' houses and they're so perfectly clean and they're really good at like designing a space and everything, you know, (laughs) and I'm just like, I'm supposed to know how to do that. Like, it'll just hit me when I'm around, when I'm around other women who know how to do these things, whatever. It just will hit me like I'm failing. I'm supposed to be like that. And it's so weird because growing up, I never felt that. And I think now just like being in my 30s, I'm like, okay, I thought I would have like all this stuff figured out and I don't. And it's just not my personality. Yeah. And I just don't have that eye. I just don't have that. That's not my priority. There's like, I'm not good at it. So many things, but it it doesn't mean I've failed as a woman. Yeah. Right. So, so aside from relating to Nora, like I said, after her small town transformation, I really still related to her currently, something I'm still working on, is the her piece as an older sister. And having to have had a role as a parent often to her, to her sister. And so I'm that way with my brother. It's like, if he has a problem, it's an assignment it's problem. I, yeah. Oh, my, like, really, really, yeah. I take it on so, so strongly. And it comes from a genuine place, like Nora says, I wanted to help. I wanted to take care of you. This is what I want. And so I really love this sibling storyline. But then, of course, her sister's like, well, you're yeah. also suffocating me and trapping right. me. And so how can we do this a little bit better? I love how you're. And it speaks to, again, like you're digging in with curiosity, what's underneath this, but you really go back to childhood a lot, you know, because that's where we're formed as people. And we don't even realize what we took away and what we meant to take away and what we're doing with what we took away. And you really seem to to like to address that in your books. (laughs) Why is that? I I love it. I I think it's really important. And I think it's the most vital part of coming of age, whatever that means. Yeah, so totally. um, why do you want to explore that? Well, I think when I'm trying to get to know a character really well, I cannot help but go back to childhood. And I think that honestly is just because I've done therapy. And yeah. so you go to therapy because you think you have this one problem. And oh. like, if you have a good therapist, you very quickly learn that is not your actual problem. No. You're like, your actual problem started much, much, much <laughs> exactly. longer ago. Yeah. Let's um, take it back in time. Yeah. Here. yeah. What is your very first memory that's probably done a number on you and I think yeah like when I'm digging into a character it's like if something traumatizing happens to you as an adult you know you already have the tools to navigate that even if it's horrible it's like you have the tools to navigate it unless it very specifically is sort of mimicking something that happened to you when you were a kid when you didn't have the tools and so your little tiny child brain made up some tools as like kind of like this survival yeah you're like so here's the band-aid here's the piece of gum i'm sticking into the machine to like hold everything together and then when you go to therapy they're like that piece of gum was helpful then now you need to do something different now it's (laughs) disgusting there's like hair (laughs) it's years and years old so it really just happens naturally like whenever i'm trying to get to know a character better i go to that and again i think it's just because i've done therapy and like i'm probably spend a little too much time thinking about my own inner landscape. And so a lot of times I'm like, I feel like I'm just still constantly learning new things about myself where I'm like, oh, this is like a very old pattern that I've been doing since I was seven years old. And I'm just now noticing it about myself. And I think especially with sibling dynamics, 
Like, you don't even know what that dynamic really is until you're an adult. And then also sometimes until you have friends around who are like, (laughs) yeah, yeah, anybody else think this is kind of weird? Like, you're acting like your brother's mom. Like, yes, that, you know, and and it's like, that's a really valuable, special relationship. But it is the kind of thing where as you get healthier, you're like crying your fingers loose to be like, we need new boundaries and it feels bad. Oh God. We talk about this all the time. Yeah. And for me, a big part of it was moving in with my brother and his family during the pandemic for a short period of time. We were, between places and we live with them and I think my husband and his wife were like oh <laughs> stop doing his laundry and I was like yeah. all of a sudden we're in the childhood home yeah. yes oh, oh my gosh God. totally and you know I'm very lucky to live close to my immediate family but it is funny because it's like you can hang out with any one group from the family and it's like its own certain thing and then you put everyone together and you're like oh no oh boy <laughs> this is chaos and we're all reverting to like our worst 13 year old selves oh, exactly what yes. happens yes. exactly oh my gosh um well so you your book touches on another thing we love to talk about on this podcast which is being seen as we say with like a capital s yeah. by another and what does that mean and we talked we've talked meaning Corinne and i um about how being seen by someone can be an anchor you know tying you to the person you once were which is what sort of happens with Nora and Libby but we've also talked about being seen by someone how it can be a mirror sort of reflecting back the truest version of yourself or maybe even a version you can't see yet and Charlie is that for Nora she says because the wall isn't up Charlie sees me so you managed to explore the different ways that we are interested in this idea of being seen. So we'd love to hear your take on it and if you're as fascinated with this concept as we are. I am because I think I spend too much time in my head. I'm kind of painfully, I don't want to say self-aware because that makes it sound like a good thing. Maybe self-conscious is the right word. But, you know, I'm always kind of thinking about like, what am I putting off and like worrying about that a little too much. And there's such a freedom when you meet someone where you're like, all of that just kind of falls away and you don't have to present yourself because you just know and trust that they see kind of what's underneath that thing that you've built, that facade. And I think especially there are a lot of differences between me and Nora, but like the one thing that I really think of as being like, that was a piece of me I put into Nora and into Charlie is the fact that when something bad happens, Nora's first instinct is like to laugh about it. Like, especially when it happens to herself, you know, but sometimes like when bad things happen to other people she's close with, you know, they'll tell her and like, she's instantly like, that's a little bit funny, funny. Mm -hmm. Like it's tragic, but it's like funny. And I really relate to that. But I think that's something, you know, where it's like, I understand myself and I understand what's kind of going on mentally when that happens. But if I'm meeting someone who doesn't know me super well, that could be a really jarring, like upsetting, not pleasant trait. And there's something so comforting whenever I make a new friend and like something, you know, I'm not talking in this situation, something horrible, but like something mildly bad happens. <laughs> and that person immediately jokes about it to me. Like it's something bad that just happened to me. And they're like, remember when that happened or whatever? That is so comforting to me yeah. because it immediately lets me know mm-hmm. that they understand that part of me and they don't think it is scary <laughs> yes. or weird or gross or whatever. They're like, yeah, that's how I, you know, like, There's just a real innate comfort when you find someone who has your same weird little quirks. And with Charlie and Nora, I knew from the beginning, like once I knew Nora's character, it really helped me find Charlie because I knew I wanted them to be really, really similar because I'd done, you know, kind of an opposites attract in the last book. And I I wanted to do two people 
who get each other because they kind of are each other. Yes. yes. That's your I am Heathcliff line. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Like, and that was a fun surprise because I didn't, that moment just happened really naturally while I was writing and uh, I was oh, like, wow, I love <laughs> this, is, this is happening. Love that line. Oh. Yes. Yeah. So the opening pages of this novel really had me hooked. I was laughing, really laughing. I was cringing. I was smiling, shaking my head with understanding. Nora positions herself as the other woman and not the mistress, the villain, the one who gets it wrong, the one who gets left. And she says, this is how I won the role of evil villainess in my own life. (laughs) Now, I am of the opinion that I think villains are more interesting than than the heroes. I'm like, give me all the villains. Thank you. So I wanted to know, was this because it's part I mean, part of me loving villains is embracing that this is the way I've always felt positioned. So I might as well embrace it. But it's also kind of messed up. I shouldn't, I don't have, I'm not the villain. (laughs) I am the hero of my own story too. So I just want to know, do you like villains? Do you? Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) I think I love villains. I mean, because a really good villain to me is not just like the power hungry sociopath. That's not super interesting to me. A really good villain to me is someone who really thinks they're doing the right thing. And, you know, they're like, I'm right. I don't, I don't understand why the world can't see that I'm right. And this is a very funny reference, I feel like, but I did recently try to, I did, I did recently rewatch the Star Wars prequels and was really struck again. Like I was like, maybe they're not what I remember them. Maybe they're better than I remember. I still did not really enjoy them. But rewatching it was so interesting because it was like the, the bones of something that would really speak to me are here because mm-hmm. I love the idea of, you know, setting up Darth Vader and being like, he thinks that he's doing the right thing. Like he's trying to help. He's yeah. got a really messed up way of doing it, but he's like been wronged by this, whatever. I, I find that yeah. so fascinating. And I think that's really helpful as far as building empathy to remember that most people I think really are trying to be good yes. and that you might not think that what they're doing is good, but I think that's helpful for just understanding people's just to go into it, knowing like people are complex. There are many (laughs) discrepancies even within one person. And I love an origin story, especially for a villain. I love being made to see that person's side, even if their side is like heinous. Yeah. (laughs) And again, it's not to excuse it or to say like they don't need to change or grow. It's for us to understand and to get more complexity more it's humanizing yes humanizing yeah. yeah yes so you've also written two aspects of love stories that we both love i love a story where through love the protagonist unlocks a part of herself or finds her true self in the process and corinne loves the theme of the thin line between love and hate <laughs> those relationships where the fire comes from contentiousness and anger but also like mutual respect Mm-hmm. So what do you think is the special sauce in a rom-com novel? Oh my gosh. It's, you know, I feel like every time I write a new one, I'm like, can I make this interesting? The answer is yes. Yes. <laughs> well, so thank you. Thank you. But, you know, doing two characters who are so similar, like I know in real life people who are similar buttheads, but I didn't know for sure if I could pull that off when I set out to write it. It was just like, I want to do something different. I want two people who are, who are very similar And maybe I can still make that like tense and contentious. But yeah, I mean, I think the special sauce really, it kind of goes back to what Kate was saying about being seen to me. That person who really does see what other people cannot is like such a special, safe place. And 
I also do think that that innately kind of forces you to grow and heal when you have someone who can see what's underneath, what other people don't immediately see. And I'm never trying to write as if a great love will just fix everything. But I do think when you're falling in love with someone and you're that vulnerable and open, that's when a lot of change and healing really can happen. Because I think most of the time we walk around with our hearts fairly guarded Mm. and closed up and we're like, I am who I am. But then when you let someone new in and all of your walls come down, you're just soft, you're mushed, you're malleable, things can change. And yeah, I'm never even setting out really to write the characters having that change, but it just happens because it's like they're, they're falling in love. So they're sharing all of their like deepest fears and oldest wounds. And that just kind of automatically happens. And they feel safe doing it. Yeah. And and that opens up a lot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, so one thing we always talk about on this podcast, uh, just to, about understanding people and getting to know kind of what's underneath there is astrology. And if I've done my research right, Kate is about to go crazy because I think you're a Leo. I am. Yeah. <gasps> yeah. Kate is as well. Uh, yes. Sorry. You look sorry. like a Leo. Uh, I get this. <laughs> you do too. So do you. I know. I know. Whenever yeah. I meet a Leo who looks nothing like me, I'm like, are you sure? Because sure. <laughs> like, you don't have the hair yeah. and the lioness. Like, right. what is going on here? Yeah. Oh my God, that is so funny. I am going to freak out. Sorry. Because <laughs> yes. Leos, you know, we think we're like, oh, Leos. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Leos. <laughs> exactly. But nobody else does that. Geminis right. aren't like, oh, Geminis. Well, Geminis would do that. I yeah. think if Geminis. Geminis weren't shamed so badly exactly. by like every by their twin. Yeah, yes. right, right. They, right. They're like they they start to do that, and then like the wall of shame like right. hits Comes them. Over. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Well, I am an Aries, so another fire sign. I was gonna say I actually think Aries. They're maybe not quite as like I'm an Aries. Yeah, but. but- I immediately connect with Aries and Geminis. Me too. All the time because they're just like I feel like those are the three most intense. Same. Like same. My like, husband's a Gemini, you. so oh my so yeah, I've got yeah. that trifecta going too. Mm-hmm. So obviously, you yeah. know something about astrology <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I know the ones that that are like my best friends and right. myself. Like that's what I know, and then also like I'm like a. Um, I'm a Gemini moon and Aries rising, I believe. Oh, so it's like, I really am like a disaster person. Oh, gosh, <laughs> like, there's a lot. That. Yeah, yes. I love yes. that. Oh, I love that you know it too. So sometimes yeah. we love when people, when we ask authors this and they're like, my rising sign is this, my yeah. moon sign. We're like, oh, yeah. oh a kindred spirit. Right. Also, and I don't know any of the others. I don't know any of the, but those three I do know. Those yeah. are the big ones. Those are the yeah. big ones. And mm-hmm. Aries rising with being a Leo, it, it's it's a lot of what we both really, I mean, because it's yeah. unusual that Kate and I both really love and relate to a character love a book and relate to a character in this way and I'm like oh yeah that's it (laughs) and you know I haven't really thought a ton about Nora's chart and people you know I'm sure I'll start getting the messages and it's like I can't remember ever if I've put a character's birthday Birthday or a clue about their birthday yeah so then I have to be like okay well I don't know what I said their birthday was but I'm guessing they're this um I do feel like Nora probably has like a bunch of Capricorn in her just for like that's my moon yeah I think there's a lot of Capricorn going on there but then probably her sun sign is something a little bit more like fire showy yeah Sagittarius yes yes oh okay well listen thank you for letting us believe this book was written for us it was specifically it clearly was the trifecta it did oh my gosh so we know that you have limited time so we want to make sure that we also find out what you're loving we always like to hear if there are books shows books movies tv shows and podcasts anything yeah well I just like many people 
people watched Severance a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. okay. and it was so good and upsetting and wonderful. I mean, I feel like usually when I I can't turn off like the writer brain, so when I'm watching something, I'll really love it, but be like, oh, I would have done this tiny thing differently and like I don't even write anything like Severance but the whole time I was just like this is perfect like for me you know as a viewer I'm like I love all the weirdness all of the like weird dark humor it's so good Um, books wise next week Emma Straub's new book This Time Tomorrow comes out I loved that book I feel like I picked it up when I was just kind of feeling like I was having a hard time like sinking into anything and I was like well Emma writes you know like there's a commercial bent but she writes sort of literary fiction and I just didn't know, like, if I was in the right headspace, and yeah. then fast forward to, like, the book oh. is ending. Yeah, you're <laughs> like, I'm turning the yeah. last page. Yeah, oh. I'm like, oh, I guess I read it. <laughs> All right, we have that. We have an arc of that. And yeah, you I, read it. Oh, my God. I already started. I mean, I, I yeah. had highlighted in the first three pages. I'm like, I don't yeah. think I can have this many highlights on right. page three pages already. It's just like, going to be the whole book. It's going to be the whole But it's so book. good, and I feel like, you know, I love, like, I love father-daughter stories, and when yeah. it comes down to it, that's what that book is, and, yeah. like, as soon as I was done reading I like took my arc to my parents house and was like dad read this and I don't think he has yet because I'm sure he'll text me when he has but every time I see him I'm like did you read it yeah (laughs) but am I gonna cry because I lost my father to a terminal illness and so when I in the first three pages I was already like I don't know if I can do this but well I think it will be cathartic because I mean it is it's a bittersweet book I feel like it's very much life where it's like it's you know it It seems that way yeah it's about their relationship and I think it made me feel more good than bad, <laughs> but, you know, like only you know yourself. And so mm-hmm, if you start yeah. reading it and you're like, I can't do this right now, set it aside yeah. and some other time. Yes. Yeah. Books, we totally believe books find us when we need yeah. them, like when it yeah. will really speak to us. It's so crazy how sometimes you'll pick something up and be like, this is boring. I'm not into this. And then a few years later, you'll find it and be like, and this book is amazing. Book. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. It really does happen that way. That's yeah. why I, I, I don't. Fe- discard anything yeah yeah i feel like with your talk earlier about family dynamics and mm-hmm. how we revert back to like who our roles like do you watch succession because that i, I do okay because that's what we we covered that on the podcast and yeah. i just when i was listening to you i was like that's all we talked yeah about. well i haven't so i haven't seen the newest season okay. but it's yeah i am so fascinated i don't even really understand why i like succession mm-hmm. because i like i like an occasion you know like i do like a villain but it's like a whole show, a whole show of them. Yeah. yeah, and like I don't really usually like watching things about rich people, like the uber rich. And I just am like, for I don't understand it's the family dynamics. It I is. Think. I think and that's it. Shiv's like beautiful clothes. Oh, yeah, like yes. her, at least in the first couple of seasons before mm-hmm. she kind of like hardens her style. But when she's wearing all the flowy silk like blush blouses, yeah, and just like. Oh, you know, that comes back in this this most recent season because oh, they're at weddings and they're at events, yeah. and yes, so she's right. wearing a lot of gowns, a lot of yeah. beautiful clothes. Yeah, let Shiv fly, let her yes. let her fashion sense fly. <laughs> love it, love it. Well, Emily, thank you so much for joining us today and talking to us. We love your books. We're so excited, and uh, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It was a delight. Oh, yeah. thank you. Good. Wonderful. Everyone should go get book lovers. It's out now. Yes. This has been Pop Fiction Women with Corinne and Kate. If you enjoyed this show, please tell the complicated women in your life. And the men who love them. Yes, tell them to listen. And then to follow on Spotify or review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And of course, share on social media. Tag us with your favorite books, TV shows, and movies starring complicated women on Facebook and Instagram at Pop Fiction Women or on Twitter at pop 
underscore women. For more coverage of the women you love, or to find out if you qualify as a complicated woman, go to popfictionwomen.com. And keep it complicated.